Good evening. Another psalm, amazing psalm, Psalm 8. Here's one for, for Doug. There's an instrument here called a gitith. That's your test for this week to find out what that is. For the director of music, according to gitith. I don't think anyone knows what it is, but I think it's an instrument. A psalm of David. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands and you have put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is a, a psalm of creation. There are many psalms of creation in the Scriptures, and we mentioned this evening about the emperor penguin. Now, in Psalm 104, it lists about all the animals, and it says that God provides food for them. And so even that illustration there that uh, Oliver gave earlier is linking in with what I want to say tonight, that that the emperor penguin is knowing its place within God's creation and receiving food, just like the birds that Jesus spoke about. The birds, they don't worry because the Creator provides, but they still have to go out and work and find the food, but God is feeding them. The other biblical story that uh, was referred to earlier in the service was the story of Hagar um, and how God saw her. And that reminded me about the, the woman at the well that in John chapter 4 and how Jesus had a conversation with her about worship. If ever there was a woman that you know, I think she was in a very difficult place. We don't know anything about her background. But there she was, talking to Jesus about worship. And Jesus said to her that the, 
the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. As we come here tonight, we want to learn how to worship. We want to learn how to pray. That's the whole point of this series, that we would learn how to use the Psalms in prayer. We started with Psalm 1, and then Psalm 2, and then Psalm 3, and now we're in Psalm 8. And it begins with adoration, and it ends with adoration. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It finishes, Lord, our sovereign Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There's different ways of praying. How much of my life and how much of your life is adoration? When's the last time you prayed to God, not merely asking for help, but praising Him for who He is and for what He has done? Because that's a form of prayer which is very, very special. I talked about the, the story of the woman at the well from John chapter 4. Archbishop William Temple wrote a definition of worship based on that conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. And this is how he defined worship. This is what we're learning to do. And there is such a breadth and such a depth to what worship and prayer is. That's why we need the Psalms. We need all 150 of them because we will get stuck in our, our own particular favorite places, and we won't learn to, how to pray in, in the variety of ways that we can pray. But this definition gives, gives variety. It's a beautiful definition. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. The human being who worships knows their place in relation to God. The human being who worships is not too big for his or her boots, but understands where they are in relation to the one that has made them. And that the primary duty of men and women is to worship. The place is like this, on our knees. If I could sum up what this, what this whole psalm is about, it's about knowing our place. And it's a really majestic place. It's a glorious place, but it is not the ultimate place which is only held by God Himself. So worship is a submission of all our nature to God, it is the quickening of the conscience by His holiness. That reminds us of what kind of God it is we're worshiping. 
a holy God. As Isaiah, as he saw the vision of, of God, majestic, high and lifted up, and, he, and the, the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Psalm 8 is saying the same thing in, in different words. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by His holiness. It is the nourishment of the mind with His truth. That's what we were speaking about this morning, abiding in Christ, flowing from the vine to the branches, the Word of God shaping our thinking, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty. I spoke this morning about that, that punk rocker, Nick Cave, and he was in the Times yesterday having a conversation with another archbishop, Rowan Williams, about going back to church. And he said that we needed to have an imagination of hope about the future, the beauty, how amazing are the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. An imagination, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of will to His purpose. Is that not what I was preaching on this morning? Trusting and obeying. So I'm going to read that again, and then we'll get to the crescendo. Worship is a submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of will to His purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration. How majestic is thy name in all the earth. All of this gathered up in adoration. The most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. And the liberation of our greatest problem, selfishness. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. It's an inclusio. It's, it, it, verses 1 and verse 9 tell us what the psalm is all about, about the majesty of who God is and what He's done. And what is, what is the meat in the sandwich? What is in between these two verses? It's about human beings. So the, the obvious point in this psalm is how do we display God's glory in our everyday lives? First of all, we need to know our place in God's creation. We need to know what we're here to do and how we are to live. 
which is to glorify Him and to enjoy Him. So we have here, first of all, a praise of God's creation. You have set your glory in the heavens. Reminds us of of Psalm 19, where we have six or seven verses. Six verses, which says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, declaring how amazing God is. We love we love the, the box sets, don't we? Blue Planet, David Attenborough. Maybe you like the stargazing. And these programs are saying majestic things about the Creator God. It says in, in, in verse 3, when I consider the work of your fingers, that's a very um, poetic way of talking about design, that God has made all of it. But it's saying that, that it speaks to the atheist and it speaks to the, 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 the agnostic that there is a glorious being behind all this beauty. From, from any psalm, you can take doctrine, you can take um, pastoral application, but I think wonder, wonder is what this psalm is seeking to evoke. And and, and I, I'm sure that Oliver had a moment there in Antarctica thinking about emperor penguins, and, and he, he reflected on God's creation and, and turned it into a prayer of praise. That might be this week that you, you, you're stuck in a rut, you're finding it hard to pray, you're falling asleep, get up, get out, walk up Essex Hill, have a look at the flowers, and, and, and look at the work of his fingers and turn it into a praise of prayer. If you want to learn how to adore God, one of the ways to begin is to look at what He's made and be grateful. And, and with an attitude of gratitude, have prayers of thank you. That is beautiful. That is wonderful. What an amazing sunset. Before you know it, you're, you're saying, Oh Lord, how majestic you are. You've made all this. Verse 2 is the, the one that all the commentators really struggle with. But let's just dwell on it for a moment. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies 
to silence the foe and the avenger. And that tells us that the, the praise and worship and adoration time is not divorced from everyday life. Psalm 3, which we heard about last Sunday evening from Oliver, began with the words, Lord, how many are my enemies? And Psalm 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 are full of enemies and trouble. And just as we think we're in the middle of this praise and worship time, and sometimes we might say, oh Lord, help us to switch off from the week that we may focus on you. Well, the Psalms don't do that. The Psalms don't want us to, don't teach us to switch off from the week. They bring right into the middle of our praise and worship about the enemy. But it also says that as the youngest child, as the, the weakest member of the community, when they praise God, they silence the opponents of God. That, that praise is powerful. And praise is something that the evil one cannot handle. So the evil one, Satan, the, the adversary of, of God and of the church and of every Christian believer, he knows a lot. He knows the Bible off by heart. He quoted it to Jesus. But the one thing that he can't do is he cannot praise. The devil cannot praise because the devil doesn't obey this psalm. This psalm says to created beings, know your place and worship the Creator. But the devil decided he would take God's place, took on God, got kicked out of heaven, and he is working day and night to disturb and to disrupt and to distract the worship of God. But this psalm tells us, too, that the praise of the weakest person will silence the foe. And that is a tremendous encouragement that my stuttering, sleepy prayers are engaged in spiritual warfare. Don't ever despise your prayers. A bit of self-examination is helpful, but always with a great big dollop of grace. Because this psalm is telling us that the, the gurgling, cooing infant at the back of church is, in, is God is receiving praise from the weakest. Now, Eugene Peterson, in his book, Answering Speech, speaking about the Psalms, he speaks about the language of prayer. He says there's, there's three kinds of language. There might be more, but he says there's three, and he knows what he's talking about most of the time, so we'll go with that. He says that the language of intimacy, the language of information, and the language of motivation. And he says that in the Psalms and in the Bible, we have 
lots of exhortation, the language of motivation, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, the language of motivation, the language of information, this is what God is like, and this is how the world works. And he says there's the language of intimacy, which is like a, a young child speaking to a parent. Now, Jesus taught us to pray, our Father, Abba, the language of intimacy. And what Eugene Peterson says in his book is that we're actually quite skilled in the language of information and in the language of motivation, but we're not very confident in the language of intimacy. And what he says is that as we seek to pray the Psalms, we should not be afraid to, to take a line and to, to offer it up to God in our own words. Psalm 3, O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Arrow prayer. O oh Lord, I'm so stressed out. Oh Lord, I'm so tired. Oh Lord, I'm so confused. The language of intimacy. And, and, and there we have, in the middle of this majestic psalm about God's creation and encouragement for us to have that direct, intimate speech. We want to see how Jesus did it. John 17 is a good place to have a look. And in verses 3 and 4, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you have set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the heavenly beings. The Northern Lights. Who saw it this week? Did anybody see it? I've never seen it. I mean, Alison took me once and she said, can you see it? I said, no. She says, I can see it. I said, I can't see anything. Happened again this week. We went shooting off to the Black Isle when the alert went on the phone. And uh, again, I couldn't see it. She's gone, it's there, it's there. Can you see it? But there's always Google. There's something really humbling, isn't it, when you, when, you, when you go out and you look up at the night sky. My friend has even got an app now. It's called Stargazer. And you can put your phone up to the sky, and it will show you all the plough and all these different star formations. And, but, you know, it's not really about the technicalities of it. It's just so humbling. I, I find when I look at the stars, it's a bit like when I used to go on business trips and I would take off from Heathrow Airport. And as the plane rose high, I would see the swimming pools and the whatever. And then I would see the houses. And I would just like, you know, there's, there's, there's hundreds of thousands and 
millions of people in this city. And how many Christians are there? How many people are worshiping God? And I'm in a personal relationship with God. And that God knows me and I know Him. And why me? Thank you, Lord. I don't understand it. Somehow you've chosen me. Don't ask me to explain it. But I thank you that I know you. What is mankind? You know, and as, as, as we look at all that's happening in our culture today and the controversial questions of the day are, are questions around humanity. When does life begin? How should life end? Abortion, assisted dying, and then in between, as we're living, what is a human being? So this psalm is, is asking a question which our culture doesn't seem to know the answer to. What is a human being? And the answer is created in the image and likeness of God. Created to live for His glory. Oh Lord, my God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And you have given great honor to human beings because aside from all the other living beings, we have a God consciousness. We have a a desire to worship. And when we don't worship God, we worship something because we're made for worship. It's what St. Augustine was, was trying to get us to understand, was that we think that we make decisions based on our thinking. And that's true. That's why Romans 12 tells us that we're to be transformed in the renewing of our minds that we may know His good, perfect, and pleasing will. But there's more, to, there's more going on in us than thinking. There's also our longings and our attitude to all the things that God has created, all the good things that He's created. Sometimes we worship them. I'm not going to give examples. You'll know what the one that's relevant to you is. But good things we get in the wrong place and we worship them. And that is, that is the human condition. That is the root of all sin. Not knowing our place. We have been given amazing honor, glory, responsibility. I mean, there's such practical implications of this. It's about theology. It's about anthropology. 
but it's also about ecology. It's about our care for the created world that God has given us to look after. It's not, it's not a mistake that here it's talking about flocks and herds and animals and birds and fish. As I was walking to church tonight, I heard these rooks just next to my house. Not the best singers of, of the animal kingdom, but I was hoping for something a bit more you know, I wasn't expecting the rooks. I looked up, and there they were. But God has, has placed all of this and the trees and the forests under our responsibility. But when we get too big for our boots, we decide we want to exploit all the resources of the world for our own advantage. And isn't that why they have all these summits of world leaders? To try and get the balance back. Human beings are in this place of supreme importance in creation, but we are sometimes neglectful that we are to care for all of creation. Genesis is very interesting if you look at the covenant with Noah. It says that God made a covenant with Noah and with all the animals. What? The animals as well? God made a covenant with them? God cares for all of it, but He's given it to us to look after. How can we live in a way that declares God's majesty. And we have to confess that it's a huge challenge. And it's a huge challenge for the world. It's a huge challenge for me. I'm sure it's a huge challenge for you. We can see the problems, but we don't think that we have the resources within ourselves to fix them. And that's why God sent Jesus. <laughs> he sent Jesus to perfectly show us how to live in relation to the Father. And what did Jesus come to do? He came to restore God's rule. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And everything he did was for the glory of the Father. Didn't he always say that? I, I, everything I do is to bring glory to my Father in heaven. And that is what we are called to do as well. Now, I grew up in the free church. I think you know that. And I went to a, a hymn-singing church from the age of 18. And Somebody said to me, the great things about hymns is that they're not, the great things about hymns is that they're, you're able to praise the name of Jesus. Well, you can praise Christ in the Psalms as well. You just have to work a bit harder. And this Psalm 
is quoted in the New Testament in Hebrews and in 1 Corinthians 15, telling us that Jesus Christ is the one who came and perfectly fulfilled this psalm. And the New Testament writers show us how to praise and adore the Lord Jesus Christ. I won't, I'm not going to go into that tonight, but there's always a sense in which we can look as to how this psalm has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is about Adam, and we know that Adam, although glorious, was also flawed and rebellious. But Christ is the one who came, and it says in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Why? Verse 28, so that God may be all in all. So that God may be all in all. And that's another way of saying, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. So I'll finish by reading that wonderful, wonderful definition of worship once again, and then pray. Worship is a submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of will to His purpose, and all this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. O Lord our God, we thank You for our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to liberate us from selfishness and who came to restore us to our rightful place on our knees before our Creator, living to glorify and enjoy You. We thank You for all that You've given us. Thank You for our imagination that even as we pray tonight, we can have pictures of all the beautiful views, all the amazing sights and smells, all the amazing creatures that You've made, all for our enjoyment, but also as a responsibility to care. Thank You that You sent Jesus to liberate our hearts from self-love in order that we may love You with all of our mind and heart and soul and strength and love our neighbor and care for all that You have made. 
Lord, how amazing is your plan. Thank you that in your grace you have revealed to us your will and your purpose. But with that comes a responsibility, and we confess who is sufficient for these things. But we thank you that tomorrow morning or tonight before we go to bed, that we can just be honest with you, that like a little child, we can confess our inadequacy, our need for help, but also our love, wonder, and praise. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen.